Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? I'm Bruce Nolan, that's Nate Geary, and this is Food for Thought, your favorite live show where we combine two of your three favorite F-words, football and food. The third obviously being fun, and that's what we're going to have today. <laughs> so, Mr. Geary, how you doing, dude? So that was it. Uh, that, that's, that, that, that's, that was the new thing that you had for me today that you wouldn't tell me prior to going on air. Tell me it wasn't good. Come on. It was good. It was I mean, good, too. especially good. the the double entendre of the last F, which which I appreciate that you went the uh, the naughty route and went the fun route. Absolutely, of course. Love I mean, what else are you gonna do? I mean, what else are you gonna do? Right. Love that about you. So, we've got stuff to talk about. Before we get started, housekeeping mm. reminder: like, subscribe, rate, review. YouTube super chats during the show get priority. We will get to every single one of them. We may not get to every single comment, but we will get to every single YouTube super chat. For the hors d'oeuvres today, for kicking off, I feel like this is the week where people started posting to their social media when it was functional, mind you, their fall mm-hmm. food. Yeah. And that's what I want to talk about because as a general rule, I find that there are multiple camps when it comes to fall food. The first one being when it gets sweater weather, I'm going to pumpkin. And the other Mm -hmm. one being when it gets to sweater weather, I'm going to maybe cinnamon or apple. Are you an apple cinnamon guy? Are you a pumpkin guy? Gun to your head. You got to pick one of the major Mm. fall categories. Where are you going? So I do love pumpkin, but apple cinnamon is, it's the right choice. I, I don't have anything other than to say it's just, it's just, it's just the right choice. It's a sensible choice. Um, especially like, I, I like to think about this too, is candles, a good, like, you know, it's fall when you light the apple cinnamon scented, the apple pie scented candle. 
So for me, if that's the true signifier for me, if that's what sort of brings the nostalgia back, the smell that brings the memory in, you know, or brings the the your your, your thoughts into play, um, that sensory, apple cinnamon to me is the way to go, and I'll, and I'll die on that hill, no problem. You know what? I appreciate the fact that you really were lost in thought there. I appreciate the fact that I really feel like you gave it your all. That was not a I, shoot from the hip take. I, I, when when would I ever uh, on this show not give my one hundred? No, not this no, show. You would, not this no, show. no, you would never. Now, I'm, I am going to get on my soapbox for a second when it comes to fall you? food. I feel like, yes, I would never get up on my soapbox. <laughs> One of the things that fall institutes is the idea that, hey, I can bust out my slow cooker now. right? I can oh, bust out right. my soups now. Here's my, my statement to those people. You can do that whenever you want. I do slow cooker meals all the time in the summer. Because I'm an adult, and I'm not going to let the calendar tell me when I can eat what I can eat. Hashtag Mm -hmm. what you want, when you want. This is a good opportunity for me to just say to everybody listening, the calendar can't stop you. If you want to have a burger at 6 a.m., you can do it. If you want to have breakfast at 9 p.m., you can do it. They have diners out there who specialize in specifically this thing, and you don't have to be beholden to the calendar. So although fall is the beginning of soup weather it's the beginning of slow cooker weather for a lot of people i'm here to tell you you don't have to be handcuffed to that you can have whatever you want whenever you want nate please tell me you're on my side i am on your side bruce i believe that you can eat breakfast for dinner i believe that if you wanted to have dinner for breakfast you can if you want to uh, smoke your meats uh outside when there's three inches of snow um, you should do that and you should use your slow cooker, uh, your, your, your crock pot in the kitchen on an 80 degree day without air conditioning. And you should be able to do that without anyone. Chili, Mr. Diggs. Yes. Chili whenever you do not have to wait for a season for chili. In fact, summer chilies with summer, uh, with summer vegetables. I was just telling you this before we got on about how, uh, I, I do this fantastic urban farm share here in the city of Buffalo. Um, it's on the East side. Um, and we get some of the best, freshest produce. Like until I had this, I had no idea that like Wegmans produce was trash, like just like bad. And like Aldi is a great spot. Like this can't hold any sort of water to like actual fresh farm picked the day before. And you, it's just, it's just something special, Bruce. And like you throw those into some soups. That's what I got going on. Um, uh, should I tell people why I'm eating dinner after the podcast tonight? Of course. So I'm eating dinner after the podcast. Normally, uh, you know, I don't wait till 10 p.m. Um, on my Friday nights to, to eat dinner. But I determined today that I needed to eat ice cream at 6.30. So I got a 22-ounce large flurry from Green Acres on Broadway Avenue in Lancaster. And they have something called the brownie batter uh, flurry. Now, this isn't your traditional brownie batter, Bruce, because brownie batter... Usually they'll throw like a hot fudge in there with the vanilla ice cream, you know, make it more of a, a battery like, um, you know, with with, uh, you know, just some delicious custard and then some brownie pieces. Right. But they actually go the extra mile, Bruce, and they scoop out, you know, like uh, your 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 traditional brownie powder mix. And they actually scoop the the powdered mix into the vanilla ice cream. And it is like, I'm not even kidding. It's one of the best ice cream concoctions I've ever had. And I don't know anyone that's ever done the powdered mix with the ice cream. And, and, oh my God, it's just divine. So yes, I had 22 ounces of that and then ate a little bit of my girlfriend's cause she got a little small one. She can't eat the ice. The, I, Bruce, 
I wonder this about you because I know you're an ice cream guy, right? Like you, you do like ice cream. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm cool with ice cream. I'm not a massive ice cream guy, but I'm cool with ice cream. Yeah. So I can eat ice cream disgustingly fast. It does not matter also how much food I've eaten. It almost is like my stomach like siphons off into a second stomach that is built for ice cream. And then there's like the savory regular food side of my stomach. And there is no in between. Like if I've had a full Thanksgiving dinner, I will absolutely go to DQ and get a get a blizzard. No, no problem. I'm sick. Calories spent on ice cream are not deducted from your daily total. Everyone knows this. That is a fact. This is, this is just common knowledge. People, this is these are the sorts of things. These are the facts that you're talking about with cold hard facts. Absolutely. Uh, and in the podcast title, yeah. And of course, cold makes sense because you know it's ice cream. I'll tell you what was else cold. Yeah. Benching Cody Ford was cold. It was cold yes, it as was. ice, ladies and gentlemen. We have a meaningful conversation to be had yeah. about the offensive line. Week one, Nate, when I asked you after week one, is it too early to panic on the offensive line? You said, no, it is not too early to panic on the offensive line. Two weeks later, the Buffalo Bills made a significant shakeup at offensive line. Now, one of them was injury related and it was Ike Butker for John Feliciano. I would anticipate John Feliciano to be back yeah. in his typical left guard spot now that he's been cleared from concussion protocol. But the Bills made a move unrelated to injury on mm. the right side of the offensive line, moving Daryl Williams, the previous right tackle, who was just re-signed this offseason, into right guard and putting rookie third-round pick Spencer Brown at right tackle. Now, I have not had an opportunity to talk to you about how Spencer Brown played, but when I went back and watched Spencer Brown, he played really well. Yes, he, he did. looked like he was a natural in that spot. Daryl Williams was good in the run game. I thought he struggled a little bit in the pass game. Things happened a lot faster inside. Mm -hmm. But is this it? Is this the new offensive line? Yeah. Nate, is this is the offensive line set moving forward or are further tinkerings? Because let's be honest, they've tinkered before with yes, stuff. They have. So this is, is a, this are is, we good now? This is a pretty dramatic tinker, though. Uh, you just pay Daryl Williams this offseason, who you know really came back into his own, the player that we saw early in his career in Carolina, and that a lot, a lot of that had to do with him going back to right tackle. Right, we saw Carolina sort of fluctuate with him um, on the left side at tackle and at left guard, and it just did not work out. Particularly at guard, it did not work for Daryl Williams. Now, I don't believe Daryl Williams played particularly well. Um, at guard, but it was not nearly as bad as a lot of folks were talking about during and immediately after the game when he had a chance to go back to your point, Bruce, there were some good things. There were some bad things, some things to like, and some things to leave last in, in last week. But I, but I, what I will say is I think that move makes a lot of sense to me. And Cody Ford straight up just got quit in Spain. Now, whether or not he gets traded here, I, I, I doubt that happens. I think they want to make sure they keep the depth. Um, on the interior of this offensive line, but he's full up just got just got Quentin Spain. Um, and like and, and this team has made they've made a how do I want to put this? A routine of when they are done with you, they are sort of done with you. And this sort of felt like Bruce that they're done with Cody Ford. And 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 what I believe the final nail in the coffin was was after the game. Um, one of the media members, I'm not sure who it was in the scrum, asked Sean, you know, uh, so what you know, what it went into your decision to benching Cody Ford? And, and, and really, instead of, you know, hey, this is just a matchup thing or his response, Bruce, was, and I quote, 
you know, we still believe in Cody Ford. Cody Ford is still a good football player. Um, and when he said that, I said, oh, yeah, they're done. They just that that's the nail in his coffin. Cody Ford is no longer. Um, I thought Spencer Brown, not to be too hot take used. I thought Spencer Brown was the best offensive lineman um, on Sunday. I think what he brings from an athleticism, um, from a size, from a reach, um, from a youth. I think they could use, they needed a little bit of youth infusion on this offensive line. So I really, really, really like what I saw from Spencer Brown last week. I like and have thought now for some time in the glimpses we saw in the first three weeks, Bruce, um, just coming in as sort of your swing tackle and, and coming in when Deion Dawkins goes down for a play. Um, I thought to myself, this guy is going to be special. And I'm, and I'm really sort of, it's just really a matter of when. Um, and, uh, and, and we see last week, he, he takes over that right tackle spot. I think it's his spot now. And it really, the question's going to be is can Daryl Williams be better at right guard than Cody Ford? And I think if the answer to that, to that question is yes, then this is going to be the offensive line barring any injuries. Growing up, Buffalo asked in the comments if my video feed is out. Yes, actually it is. I, I decided not to turn on my camera today. Uh, I jumped through a plate glass window to save a woman and child who were being mugged, and my face is horribly scarred. So uh, I think every <laughs> week I should come up with some sort of ridiculous reason why my video is not on. I feel like that that could be like a running gag, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in on it. I'm into but that. I'm into that. Absolutely. I think that the there's a real possibility that this is just it on the offensive line, barring barring something moving forward. And I think that it's a shame that Cody Ford just got settled in at guard. And it's a shame that they kind of used his versatility to impact his development. And that's unfortunate. However, however, what I saw as Spencer Brown, you can't take that guy off the field right now. You can't. A lot of the, the concerns with Spencer Brown coming out are, you know, the level of competition in college. How's the technique going to be? I was expecting him to be overstriding. His hands are high, the whole thing, right? It's, it's, it's not the case. If you go back and watch Spencer Brown, he looks like a natural. Yeah. And that's, that's not something I expected to say about a guy who's a third round pick who was overly talked about as being a athletic freak and developmental. Mm -hmm. We saw in the preseason how far the difference was between Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle. Even though they both oh, it's a big gap. come from significant programs, they're both freakish athletes, they're not the same. They're very, 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 very different as far as preparedness and readiness to play. What we didn't know was that that wasn't Spencer Brown relative to Tommy Doyle. It was Spencer Brown relative to everybody. He's mm -hmm. just ready to play right now. Yeah. now I'm not saying he's not going to get embarrassed. There's a lot of good offensive linemen who come off the offensive right side of the ball. A lot of good defensive pass rushers who are going to do that. And I'm sure he's going to make a rookie mistake or two. However, just like Gregory Rousseau on the defensive side of the ball, if you have special traits that can be utilized right away, then maybe we should start thinking about our definition of pro ready. Because mm. pro ready, we have a tendency, pro ready, we just experience. That's what we mean. Oh, he's experienced. Or he came from a pro system or things like that. But the fact of the matter is if you have traits that are capable of being shown right now then those traits that are special will give you a chance to be pro ready now so spencer brown i think is the key to not switching back and i think yeah. he played well enough that i would expect it, it to be that way moving forward do you believe that cody ford's failure to become a starting caliber replacement level player falls on development or do you believe that partially because uh, listen, development of Cody Ford 
has really from the beginning sort of been a mess. Um, starting him at tackle was never in his best interest. And they finally moved him to, to guard. Then he gets injured. Then they move him to the other side. And now he's settled in, in a position and he gets essentially two and a half games um, to, you know, work in. Uh, and, and, and whether or not that's fair or not, I, 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 that's the NFL is not a fair, it's not fair. It's nothing to do with fairness, but what I'll say, Bruce is it feels less like a failure development and more of uh, I, I, I think they might've just whiffed in the draft. I just don't know that this guy was someone, um, that was going to be a replacement level player. I, I thought for sure he was a walk-in day one starter, um, out of Oklahoma, but I, again, I thought it was at guard. Um, and he has not looked replacement level at guard or tackle in the NFL. So I'm, I think I maybe just, it's, it ends up being a whiff, um, more than a developmental flaw. I went on record when Cody Ford came out many, 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 many times as saying, he's a guard, he's a guard, he's a guard, he's a guard. And then of course I had all the people, well, you think you know more than the team. And then voila, he eventually moved him to guard. So, um, I did think he was a guard coming out. I, I think that what the proper development what the lack of bouncing around would do for us, it was allow me, it would allow me to feel a lot more comfortable with the conclusion that we whiffed. I think I would feel a lot more co- comfortable with that conclusion if it wasn't a contributing factor. And now I have this lingering contributing factor. And I'm not saying it's just because of that. I'm saying it's an obvious enough contributing factor that it makes me uneasy to say, well, we just whiffed. Like it makes me uneasy to say that because I have another contributing factor that I have to look into that is bothering me a little bit. And that's the thing with Cody Ford is it's one of those things where we have scenarios like this. Like what if EJ Manuel wouldn't have been yanked by Doug Marone? Would he have been okay? Not great, but okay. Right. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if Trent Edwards wouldn't have gotten the concussion, right? I've gone on record as saying, I don't think he was playing that well before he got the concussion, but some people still hang to the, if he wouldn't have gotten the concussion, he would have developed. He would have been, I think part of this Bruce can, and I will say as part of this is that Wyatt Teller has turned into like a martyr of sorts. Wyatt Teller, is the cautionary tale. Wyatt Teller is the Josh Allen of the offensive line, which is you trade him and he becomes a superstar. And, you know, and, and I mean, he is, he's one of the best interior offensive lines in football right now. Um, he's going to get paid this off season. So like I, Cody, Cody Ford is not going to be, by the way, he's just, he is not going to be Wyatt Teller. So I think I think Wyatt Teller has created some some scar tissue for this fan base, and maybe rightfully so, um, because I think right now Wyatt Teller solves a lot of your current issues on the interior of, a part of this offensive line. But um, I, I guess I digress by saying this, that I can say confidently that by sitting Cody Ford, and if Cody Ford ends up being traded or, or being moved in the offseason, which I think could be a total – again, I think he's done. I, I think he's been sort of outcasted in this organization – as as opportunities they give them to people, I believe that when they are done with a the player, they are just done, and it it feels more than ever. And just listening to Sean McDermott's post game comments, it just it it feels like this this thing is done with Cody Ford. If I was going to make an argument for keeping him, it would be contractual statuses of other players on the offensive line as far as bodies go. Uh, Ike Bucker is going to be a free agent, right? Uh, John Feliciano's contract can be fairly easily gotten out of. Daryl Williams' contract can be reasonably gotten out of. This year, yeah. I think that you might run into just a bodies issue and having a cheap body who you admire his versatility, which they've said a million times they do on a second round rookie deal might be, well, 
we would like to get rid of him, but we don't want to leave ourselves short in that spot. Ladies and gentlemen, here with us right now, our guest for this evening, Mr. Steven Ruiz from The Ringer. Mr. Ruiz, how you doing, dude? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? It's a party all the time. It's Friday night. We're we're podding. Uh, I, I I can't crack a beer right now because I ate ice cream for dinner. And if you know anything about mixing beer and ice cream, it tends to really just kind of go wrong. Um, <laughs> so I've I've decided tonight that my normal um, situation of cracking a beer live on live on the stream, um, I'm not doing it. So, uh, but feel free. If I yeah, if I knew that was the tone, I would have got a beer. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, no, that's definitely the tone of the show, hundred percent. Damn. Well, I mean, food is a food is a part of the thing. So let let me ask. I want to get your take on this before we move into this. I want to get your take on the fall food conversation that we were having earlier. So, first off, are you a person who specifically, you know, staples in chili and soups and crock pots and only the fall and winter or are you a year-round guy are you allowing that this is a loaded question by the way are you allowing the tyranny of the calendar to hold you down to the spot where you will only have soups and chilies and you know apple and pumpkin and stuff during the fall no but i i, I do feel like i allow the calendar to dictate how much of that stuff i eat and it mm. increases in the fall but I, I will not like if I saw like pumpkin pie in the store in March, I'd buy it. Good. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Good. We're starting a movement. There are dozens of us. Dozens. <laughs> so that's, that's always join. good. Steven, I'm, thank you so much for having taken the time and yes, coming no on problem. our show on Friday night. One of the things we want to talk about is now that we're at kind of the what would historically be the quarter marker, right? If there were still 16 games. I'm still irritated that they if the NFL believed game. in math, which they right. don't. Right. You know. They don't, and it, it upsets me. The fact that there will are no 500 teams really bothers me. The fact that I can't separate things into quarters bothers me. It's like the volume. It's you like the volume on your TV. What, it can't be said. What I will say is the NFL has finally moved away from Jeff Fisher officially by moving away from 500. So Jeff you know, Fisher really can good. no longer exist. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, that's he would really tie. Good. He would He would tie yeah. again. <laughs> he would year. definitely have to tie. 8-8-1. Eight, eight, the right. Jeff Fisher. From here on in, if anyone ever gets 8-8-1, eight, eight, we're calling it the Jeff Fisher from here on in. That's, that's the way it's going to go. So we're at the quarter mark, right? I, it was very important not to say the quarter poll because – I've had many people tell me before that the quarter pole is with a quarter left, not a quarter in. So that's very, very important. We not make that mistake. Mm. But there have been some fairly surprising quarterback performances so far this year. You see players like Baker Mayfield in the bottom half of the league in my most advanced metrics. You see players like Josh Allen at 19th in a lot of different metrics. Then you see other players like Daniel Jones and Taylor Heineke who are showing up in the top 10. Now, first off, when it comes, let's just go with the NFC East right now because I, I want to lump Dale, Daniel Jones and Heineke together. You know what? Let's lump Jalen Hurts in there too. Let's lump all three of the NFC East quarterbacks that aren't Dak Prescott. All three of them are, gosh, I hope this guy's the guy. Obviously, there's a little bit more hope with Daniel Jones because you invested a lot in him. With Jalen Hurts, it was kind of almost a default. There's still rumors that the Eagles might be interested in Deshaun Watson. And with Taylor Heineke, it wasn't supposed to be the guy at all. Ryan Fitzpatrick was supposed to be the guy. But if you were going to rank your confidence at this point mm. in this guy who's currently playing is the guy. And by the guy, I mean, we'll sign a second contract. That's how we're defining the guy. 
will sign a second contract with that team that is a long-term extension. Rank those in order for me. Heineke with the Washington football team, Jalen Hurts with the Eagles, Daniel Jones with the Giants. Uh, I will reverse the order you listed them in. Daniel Jones, top, just because I, I think he's the best quarterback out of those three. Although I would say Hurts pro- probably has the high ceiling, but I think the Giants are a stubborn enough organization where even if it's close, they're going to sign him rather than take that L on drafting him. What was it? Fifth, fourth, one of those picks, six, maybe when everyone else Too high. he was yeah. outside of the top 20. So yeah, I'm going to say Giants first. And honestly, like I think it's the same for both Heineke and Hertz. I think Hertz is a better player and should get a longer look, but I, I don't think the organization has confidence in him. So, I mean, he might as well be Heineke with Washington. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I sort of, how about for the film over analytics people? Because you can never really truly have a, a blend of both. You can't mm-hmm. just have, you know, you you can't be perfect. All right, Stephen, you can either be one or the other. And if you're a film guy right now, you're looking at the underlying numbers of Taylor Heineke. You're looking at some of these underlying numbers, particularly for Daniel Jones. And you might look at those numbers and say, how could they possibly be that much better than a Josh Allen? How could they possibly be that much better than a Baker Mayfield right now? And is it one of those cases where it's hard in, in, in this early part of the season without the full sample size to apply metrics like this that are really more so meant to view on a whole season um, sample size where like I, I, I watched Josh Allen and Taylor Heineke go, uh, you know, match up two weeks ago and no, it didn't look the same, did it? No, no. <laughs> and listen, part of this is, you know, I, I think the Nick Wright conversation, which is one of the things I hate that um, a lot of national TV people do is like, Oh, look at his passer rating. And I just like, Oh, I want to pull my hair out. Why are we talking about this? Um, but I, I think a lot of people this week were sort of uh, thrown off because maybe they didn't realize that Josh Allen's numbers have been sort of pedestrian through four weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely a small sample size thing, especially when you look at the schedules they faced. And Josh Allen faced that Steelers defense the first week, which is tough. And then this last week he played in a rainstorm, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just that's two games. That's half the sample size right there that can throw off everything. I, I mean, yeah. Use your eyes. That's what I, that's what I would say. <laughs> Go watch that Washington Buffalo game, and think to yourself, which quarterback would you rather have? Which quarterback is the better football player right now? And it's it's fairly obvious. I think the only thing that I would be ro- worried about with Josh Allen is I do think this season has showed that his floor is maybe a little lower than we thought it was after last year. I think his his ceiling is still the same. We still see those high level throws, even this last week and in the rain. Yeah. It's just, I think the the range of outcomes is maybe a little wider than we expected this year. So let's let's use our eyes and let's look at the way we've seen Josh Allen so far this year. And a lot of people, yourself, me, we were not really super high on Josh Allen coming mm-hmm. out of college. There's no secret about that. So as you watch Allen now, and as I watch Allen now, and you compare him to the player that he was when he came out, what did people get wrong on Josh Allen? What, what did I get wrong? What did you get wrong? What did we all get wrong when it came to Josh Allen? When you look at the film now and you compare it to the way it was when you look back on him as a player, because I went back and I watched some Wyoming stuff this offseason. It doesn't even look like the same quarterback mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. What did, what did we all get wrong? What did a bunch of people get wrong on Josh Allen? I think it's a combination of two things. The common, uh, one, we 
underrated his physical talent because it is special. It is rare. It's unlike I, maybe Cam Newton is the closest comparison in terms of size, athletic ability, and arm strength. And then I think we underrated the commitment this organization would have to him and giving him time to develop. Cause even during the 2019 season, when they made the playoffs, there were still times when it was like, Oh, is this going to be the guy long-term and they never wavered. And the longer a quarterback plays, he's going to get comfortable. And I think you see Josh Allen is way more comfortable in the pocket. And I would argue that's his biggest strength. And he's really fine tuned what his strengths were in college. And that's, being a huge man in the pocket and not being deterred when there's bodies around him and bodies flying, he's going to find space and be able to find a throw downfield. And you see that this year, that skill is still there. He's still making these amazing throws on the run. He still has this great field vision when he is forced outside the pocket. I think that's the one thing that he was going to be able to develop that strength. And that was going to be enough because he is this physical talent that we've never seen before. So I'm going to recycle uh, a Bruceism from right before you came on when we were talking about the Bills offensive line, and I'm going to apply it to this conversation. And I, I, I wonder if you believe that the term pro ready and how we're applying it to, to quarterbacks now um, either a has to change or B it's just, it just doesn't matter. Um, because I think about that draft, I think about the 2018 draft, and there's absolutely no question that if we're talking about spectrums, that Baker Mayfield was the guy that was sort of ready to walk into this situation from day one and be a starting NFL quarterback. And funny how he walks in and they did everything they could to essentially keep him off the field. Um, but on the other end of that spectrum sat Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, who are arguably in that draft, the two quote unquote Rost, or at least the least pro ready based on the style of football that they played. Josh Allen played in a pro style system in college, but there was really a lot of questions about the rawness to his game. But in a very different way, you looked at Lamar Jackson and you said he wasn't pro ready, mostly because you had, you know, former NFL executives calling him a wide receiver and, and so on and so forth. We know we all know that whole situation, but I, I just, I think looking back, it's funny. Is that maybe the draft that we all start to start? We, we just, we come here and we say is pro ready. Just saying that, that we know what their ceiling is. Yeah, I've I've had these discussions for like the last couple of years, and I think you're right that it was the 2018 draft. For me, that's what it was. It was mm -hmm. Josh Rosen. I thought he was the right. best quarterback in the class. And Same, thought, man. Same. It's because you buy into these these stereotypes we have of pro-ready quarterbacks, and it's a guy that can win from the pocket and he can beat defenses with his mind. But I've kind of flipped on that, what pro-ready is. I think pro-ready is a player that you can play right away no matter what. And I think a Josh Allen, even in that 2018 year when he was so raw, it was obvious he was the best option the Bills had because mm -hmm. of his physical oh. ability. They could use him as a runner. They would not have beaten the Vikings that year with any of the other quarterbacks they were trotting out there. And I would say now, in order to be pro-ready, you that athleticism is a prerequisite. You have to have it because you're not going to beat defenses with your mind. You could see that with Mac Jones right now. Mac Jones has been good in all the ways we thought he would be good. Mm -hmm. he's reading defenses he's getting rid of the ball he's accurate but he's not making plays because he doesn't have that athleticism to lean back on whereas a guy like justin fields we saw him against the lions he's making way more big plays even though he's not as advanced as a passer as mac jones is and it's because he has that athletic ability so i, I think you're right i think it has flipped what pro ready is because you can't just come in like a mac jones and expect to have a productive season right away until your mind catches up to the point where you can outsmart 
pro defensive coordinators. So I guess this, I, I mean, I, I brought up Baker Mayfield and I'm sort of fascinated in, in your thoughts early on here. And again, uh, and let's use the same disclaimer we talked about with Josh Allen and with, with, with Daniel Jones and, and some of these uh, and Taylor Heineke is the sample size and understanding the sample size as a context to your answer here. I, I, I do wonder what your overall thoughts of what has early here gone wrong with Baker, because there is this conundrum that I keep being told is not really a problem, which is this very clear um, disconnect between Baker and Odell Beckham Jr. And I don't know. I, all I know is I keep being told that it's not a problem, but every single week I just, it's not there. There just is not the connection. You know, Josh Allen gets Stephon Diggs and literally from the first game, there was, it, it clicked. It was there. The styles worked together. Um, is this an Odell Beckham thing? Is this a Baker Mayfield thing? Um, and I, I, I now I'm, I'm also going to put a little context to this too, because I think his left shoulder injury is absolutely 150% affecting his accuracy. Um, I think it's affecting his throwing. Um, Josh Allen would attest to that. He had a very similar injury early on last season. And I think it's why you saw him struggle against the Titans and the chiefs last year was that left shoulder injury in that sling. Um, with all that said, Steven, like, what what is going on with Baker in arguably the most important year of his career since he has not gotten that extension yet? Yeah, as for the Odell thing, I I think it's more of a Baker issue. Although, I mean, just from watching the film, Odell Beckham's getting open. Yes, he is. He's getting open downfield, and Baker Mayfield is not hitting them. Now there are a lot of factors that we don't we can't tell what's going on there from behind the or from the outside looking in. Like we don't know of. Odell's running his routes at the right tempo, whether he's breaking them off at the right point, but uh, Odell's getting open and the ball's not getting to him. So I'm, I'm inclined to say it's a Baker thing. As for what's wrong with him this year, I do think the left shoulder thing is bothering him because I think he's a guy that puts his whole body into mm -hmm. throws and that's how he gets his velocity. And that has to be bothering him. Having that painful of an injury in your upper body, which you use when you're throwing, it's it, yeah, it's gotta be. And I think this just kind of exposes Baker, not like I'm saying he's a bad quarterback, but I do think it exposes his weaknesses. He's not like the sharpest thinker in the pocket. He tends to panic and kind of, you know, bounce through his reads. It's not holds and holds and holds and, and holds. his feet yeah. get out, uh, out of rhythm and it just throws off his accuracy. So now that he doesn't have this arm where he can make the throws to the wide open receivers, he's kind of getting exposed as a processor. I don't think his process is that good. Whereas, like, Dak Prescott in week one, it was very clear that his shoulder was bothering him. He had suffered a shoulder injury in training camp. But he is one of the best processors in the league, and he picked apart the Bucks defense. No problem. I don't think Baker has that in him. And I think that kind of exposes his flaws as a franchise quarterback. I think we're starting to change, like you said, the idea of what pro-ready means and also maybe what the idea of franchise quarterback mm -hmm. means and so i think that what we are now is a a league that is built around the ability to get explosive plays on offense and stop explosive plays on defense mm -hmm. and so when you get these quarterbacks the mac joneses of the world the baker mayfields of the world right you get these people who don't have the requisite physical traits to be able to provide explosive plays down the field frequently and explosive plays with their legs and being able to make a play in the second phase of the play and you jumpstart the scramble drill and now you're outside of structure and you're making big plays down the field. You're making something out of nothing. Some of the best explosive plays in football come when Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen are making something out of nothing. 
do we just need to look at quarterbacks differently? I mean, somebody in the comments brought this up too. Tua and Herbert, very similar mm. concepts. You know, yeah. Tua came out and he was a rhythm thrower, great in the RPO game, quick ma making decisions, he had good ball placement, but he wasn't that explosive player down the field. Justin Herbert was, a lot of people thought, a more polished version of Josh Allen when he came out. And sure enough, how many times does this have to happen before <laughs> the entire mindset of the NFL just shifts toward we need explosive plays. We need people who are at the helm of this offense to be able to give us explosive plays. Do you think we're there now or is it going to take longer before the NFL starts to say, okay, because I know the NFL is notoriously slow to adapt and notoriously slow to change, but we've had enough happen in the last couple of years where between the Mahomes thing, the Allen thing, the Herbert thing, surely we're learning, right, Steven? Yeah, I mean, when you look back at at the last decade of draft results, and I think that's a, a smart place to cut it off because that's when the 2011 CBA was signed, which affected how you can, mm -hmm. how much you can practice, how much meeting time you have, and that's going to obviously affect the development of a young quarterback. In the last 10 years, if you look at it, the biggest misses in terms of teams drafting players, the players that have failed have mostly been pocket passers who can't, who don't add that extra element to the game. And then if you look at draft Twitter's biggest mistakes, like the media's biggest mistakes and guys that we thought were going to fail, it's been, it's been when we bet against physical talent and physical, mm. nice uh, physical profiles. I think that should be a lesson that the NFL has learned, but I've talked, I've like done interviews with people recently who have been in, in those spots formerly like head coaches and GMs. And I I've thrown that theory out that maybe we need to like flip our idea of what a pro ready quarterback is and they're not buying it. So maybe that's how it is in the league. Maybe they're just not ready to recognize what's going on. And maybe that's why a Mac Jones is still going in the first round in 2021. I also don't think that any of us uh, on the outside, Stephen, can fully understand what an organizational, like what pressure is doing yes. in these moments, right? Because in, in a moment when you have the opportunity to draft Tua or Justin Herbert, instead of drafting the tools, instead of drafting the ceiling, what we're doing is we're drafting who has the highest floor. And I think that's really where teams start to get into the danger zone. And I think that's probably the main reason you take Tua in that draft to your so I I also think there's probably a lot of pressure within that organization that you spent a, a whole year basically talking about tanking for Tua and to not you know draft him um felt like you know sacrilegious almost right. and, and, I, and I'm wondering now your thoughts of like an organization like the Dolphins who have it feels like completely hitched their wagons to Tua and if Tua can't elevate the rest of that roster like they're going to have to rebuild again. And it sort of looks like it's not working in Miami. And don't worry, there's no Dolphins fans in here to like, you know, <laughs> uh, stalk you after this podcast and tell you how dumb you are. Um, they do that to me anyway. So, um, but I do wonder, like, is that where we have gotten to as, as a league, as, as the pressure to get to, to knock and fire the following season or to stay off a hot seat means maybe sacrificing the idea of tools and sacrificing the idea of, of drafting guy with the bigger ceiling just in order to draft a guy with the low, with the higher floor. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just a safe thing to do is to draft a guy with the lower floor because the media is not going to kill you. Like if you look at Chris yeah. Greer, I know he's getting flack in Miami for what the picks he's made, but no one in the national media is really like, what's up with Chris Greer? Why did he draft two over? Cause we all thought that was the order Burrow to a Herbert. Mm -hmm. 
So I think that that helps. But let's talking about the Dolphins and whether Tua is the guy. I think let, let's just ignore what has happened this season and pretend like the Dolphins are winning games like they won last year, and they're maybe they're on track to make the playoffs. And you still have the same question, right? Because Tua is still the same guy. The team around him is just performing well. I would just look at it like we don't need to rebuild necessarily, but we need to understand that even if we have team success, Tua is a one contract quarterback. He's a rookie contract quarterback. That's the only way you can win with him as your starter. Mm. You have to pay him 25 million plus. You're not going to win. And I, I do think the Dolphins organization and front office is smart enough to recognize that. So I think, I think they're going to make the right choice. I don't think they're going to get hung up on making Tua work and forcing it. Mm. Is the right choice trading for Deshaun Watson? No, I would not trade for Deshaun Watson. I, I don't know how any team would be comfortable trading for Deshaun Watson. I wouldn't even consider it if I was one of these teams. If you're trying to save your job and you're uh, mm. desperate because you swung and missed on a franchise quarterback in the first round, do you think it might be desperate enough to pull it? No, because I think the downside is you traded like, what, three first round picks and Deshaun Watson never plays for you. And yeah. given what he's accused of, of doing, like that just compounds the issue. You trade it for someone who's been accused of sexual assault and he never played and you gave up your next half a uh, half a decade of picks. I, I just don't think it's worth it. Well, I'll tell you what was worth it having you on the show. Indeed. Steve, <laughs> thank, you. thank you so much for being a part of this. I appreciate you taking 20 minutes out of your Friday evening yeah, to man. spend the time with Nate and I. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social media and what you're up to at the ringer. Uh, yeah, you can find me at the Steven Ruiz. That's Steven with a V. Uh, and I'm writing twice a, a week at The Ringer. I write a Monday column, and I write a column that usually comes out Thursday. And I do the Friday Ringer show, the podcast. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here, man. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, brother. We appreciate it. Thanks for you. having me. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Always a good time. I'm a big Steven Ruiz fan. And I know some Bills fans are still salty at him because he didn't like Josh Allen. But he... Uh, I'll say this about Steven is like, I think some of my favorite um, minds, particularly the the ringer team who they've just like kind of created a stable of really young, really impressive people in the industry, Benjamin Solak. And, and he is being the kind of like the two Noah Princiati. Like there's, there's a lot of really good talent um, within that, that organization at the ringer and, and with Steven, just like Benjamin, I think has done a good job of saying like, Hey, I allow my work and my knowledge of the game to drive my sort of instincts and to drive my takes. And when they are wrong, I am admitting that they are wrong. And, and I think those are the kind of people in this industry that I respect because their hot takes tend to get you know defended until you can't defend them anymore, right? And, and I think when you're actually coming from a, a, a place that were like Steven and, and some of these other folks that you know, did not like Josh coming out, you know, you and me did not like Josh coming out. And and I think, you know, for, for our own sanity, we had to sort of turn the, uh, turn the page on our thoughts on Josh Allen sooner than some of the national media did. But a guy like Steven was one of the first ones that said, yeah, like I was wrong, man. And, and again, I, I guess I'll always kind of save a space um, in my, it's going to sound weird, but like in my heart for people that, that I don't think are just they, their, their conviction to a take um, isn't dependent on, you know, being right. It's, it's about, it's about actually being right. Um, and, and wanting your ability to say that you're wrong about something, um, take precedent over your inability to see it or, or worse, knowing that you're wrong and sticking to your take, which I think is the disingenuous 
sort of sphere of talking heads that we're in right now, right? It's just, I think a lot of us here in Buffalo, which, you know, we know Buffalo podcast, Bruce, there are so many good ones. I think there are so many genuinely good people that do this um, for a living that when you see the disingenuous ones, you're just like, ah, onto the next. I, I, I don't, I don't need it. There's no, there, there's just not a place for it. It's about truth over ego. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's really that simple truth over ego. And I think that in the long run, that's probably going to probably going to win out. And so it's always good to see people like that. And I think the, the longer, the longer that the evidence is out there and you're still clinging right. onto it, you're moving the goalposts and you're mm-hmm. changing your argument or you're denying you ever said that, or you're saying you were joking or you're doing all the things to try to avoid just taking the humble pie, the worse it gets yeah. when it comes to stuff like that. So I agree with you. I, I can appreciate that. A reminder to you all that our guest on this hotline for the food for thought was brought to you by thrive fantasy come prop up on thrive fantasy this football season thrive fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props with thrive you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game choose 10 out of the 20 available player props to build your lineup each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to hit hit the most props and rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool Thrive has awarded over $4 million so far. Thrive's featured $100,000 guaranteed contest is $20 to enter, and first place takes home $20,000. Use promo code BUFFBILLS, that's B-U-F-F-B-I-L-L-S, when you sign up today, and you will receive a 100% instant first deposit match up to $100. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store, or by visiting their website, www.thrivefantasy.com. Again, that's www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Mr. Geary. We got stuff to cover. We do. Bruce. We, we do have we've stuff only got to cover. 15 minutes. So we 
we, we, we better get going on a, on a couple of things that I'm actually maybe most excited to talk about, which is our weekly, our weekly scheme talk, weekly scheme talk. What are you looking for? What is your eye on aside from, Hey, let's just get a W right aside from that. What are you interested? What scratches the football itch for you this week with the Buffalo bills against, I don't know if you've heard, but the bills are playing the chiefs this week. I don't know if that's come up in any of your conversations it, um, a few times. But I just thought I just I mentioned it in passing here um, because, you know, we get distracted by, you know, chili and uh, mm-hmm. F words and do. the pumpkin. Uh-huh. And because of it, we forget schematically what's going on. So what are you looking for? If I were to ask you, Bruce, who is the 10th best fantasy running back since week two? What would your answer be? Clyde Edwards Alaire. No, Zach Moss. It is Zach Moss. Yeah, I got it. And I believe it's weird that this, this teeter tottering back and forth between Singletary and Moss. This is a good matchup for Moss this week. Um, I think they're going to need to run the ball when they get up in this football game. I don't believe you can really run the ball to get up in this football game. So um, with that said, Bruce, I think that there has to be the style of running back that we know that that Zach Moss is, I think, is the kind that you need to be able to grind out the clock um, when you get up a score, when you get up two scores, which, you know, could happen in this game based on the defense on the other side of the ball. I don't believe Kansas City's defense is very good right now. I believe that they could end up holding the back, Bruce. I believe that the opportunity for the Bills is an injury this year. The opportunity for the Bills to take the place of Kansas City has fallen directly on the hands of this defense for Kansas City, led by Steve Spagnola. It is not good. They have not played well together. Tyron Matthew, I still think, has not quite recovered from COVID, just like we've saw Deion Dawkins struggle through a couple of weeks. I think Tyron Matthew's having a similar situation. I think they miss Rashad Breeland a lot. Rashad Breeland, I'm sorry. Um, and and I genuinely, um, I, I have not agreed with and, and don't believe that the move to the edge for Chris Jones has been a fruitful one um, at all. Uh, and I, we know he's he's battling a wrist injury and he's um, questionable to play on Sunday. But even if he does play and he's playing at at at, at 75, 80 percent, he has not been um, the player. And it's been getting a lot of uh, I think a lot of flack in, in the media there in Kansas City over the last week or two, um, because he just has not been performing at the level that I think a lot of people um, expect him to. He's a top tier interior defensive lineman. The problem is they bumped him outside. He's playing out of position and it hasn't looked good for Kansas city through the first four weeks of the season. So um, scheme wise, Bruce, I think it's incredibly important for the Bills to just do what they do. We heard Emmanuel Sanders talk about it this week and God, if, if Emmanuel Sanders hasn't turned into maybe just the best listen out of any bills player, um, the insight, the knowledge um, and as experience in the league and, and understanding what's important and, and being around and winning a Super Bowl, I think is very important that I think they needed a player like Emmanuel on, on the offense in particular. I think a guy likes to find digs at 27 years old, right? Like he's not young. He's not old, but I think everyone has sort of needed the presence of Emmanuel Sanders. I think we we're going to know the return on investment for Emmanuel Sanders and Gabriel Davis's game probably won't be seen until next year, but I guarantee that there is a lot of strides being made internally uh, behind the scenes that we're not seeing with Gabriel Davis because Emmanuel Sanders is in town. So for me, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of channel what Emmanuel said, which is, not trying to do things, do too much, not trying to change who you are, change what got you here, got you to three and one. It's gotten you to, to three consecutive really strong games, both from your offense and defense and from your quarterback. And I think ultimately what this comes down to, Bruce, is, is the quarterbacks, right? Um, can Josh Allen 
play at the level that Patrick Mahomes is playing at. And his first two matchups, they have not, that has not been there. So for me, it's just maybe a, a dumbed down version of what I believe the scheme or what I'm looking for scheme wise, but I'm looking for the bills to remain in what they do. Um, when they try to do too much, when they try to extend themselves, when they try to make an extra play, when they're trying to just points, that, that just plays right into the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs. So for I think for me, what I'm looking most forward to is can you remain yourself and uh, and lean into it a little bit? For me, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for the payoff for some of the moves that the Buffalo Bills made this offseason, mm-hmm. specifically on the defensive line. You have a rare opportunity here. You have a completely reshuffled Kansas City offensive line. You added to your defensive line. You added a player like Gregory Rousseau. You added Boogie Basham. You brought in F.A. Obata. You did these things. You got Star Latoule back, who, mind you, has suddenly become a good pass rusher after a year off at 31 years old, because that's a common thing. People do that all the time. Makes complete sense. The NFL is not weird. I'm fine. Anyway, (laughs) I think that your ability to get pressure with four will change this game. And we all know that everybody saw the Super Bowl. Everybody saw what getting pressure with four. But the difference was Patrick Mahomes had a broken foot and they had three new offensive linemen. Mm -hmm. Now they restocked the cupboard and Patrick Mahomes' foot has been holding up perfectly fine. Can you still get pressure with four? Because if you have to bring, if you have to bring blitz, that's bad. If you can't get home with four, you don't have the speed on the back end for Tyreek Hill. You have to get home with four. If they get home with four, I'm going to go ahead and say this now. If the Bills are able to generate consistent pressure with four down linemen, I think they win. That I think I, that's the key to the game. I was listening to the afternoon show today, Bruce, and I, I'm interested in your take on this. Uh, and I thought uh, Bulldog brought it up um, on, on Mike Chopin, the Bulldog afternoon show on WGR. And he said, you know, how... How quickly, uh, if you're Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott, do you pivot? And and how quickly, because you're going to try to get there with four. And how quickly do you change your approach if it doesn't work? Is it the first drive? Is it they score 14 points and maybe you pivot? And instead of saying we're going to pivot to trying to bring pressure or simulated blitzes or simulated pressure, instead of those things, what if the game plan turns into let's slow it down and let's get our hands in passing lanes? Let's let's bring Gregor Rousseau. Let's bump him down to a three technique on passing downs. Um, let's get his hands into those passing lanes and force. Listen, when Patrick Mahomes goes off platform, he is still just as good of a quarterback throwing sidearm, underarm, uh, you know, uh, like a Jeter throw or he's in, in midair trying to throw. But if you are the Bills, you have to like your chances if you can try to make Patrick Mahomes change the platform and his release as much as possible. If you can interfere with that, you're gonna get some uh, some inaccurate throws. It, like he's he is human. I know that he hasn't really been for the past three or four years, but I think one of the ways you win in this football game is if you can interfere with his passing lanes and not give him easy layups. Um, so I guess my question to to spit to you, Bruce, is how quickly do you believe the Bills? How short is that leash? for the game plan that they're going to roll out defensively. And and do you believe it's it looks a lot like the one we saw in the regular season of week five last year? I think you absolutely have to give it time mm. to get home because what you can do over the first couple of drives is you can start of kind of pick the lock. So I don't know if you have any experience picking locks or anything like that, but you know, obviously you have to press in on tumblers in different orders at different compressions to find the thing that clicks. And so uh, lock picking 
is a lot like understanding defensive thing. Okay, let's try this. Let's, we're kind of probing the weak spots to see what works. And so I don't want to panic and I don't want to give it one or two drives, then go, okay, this isn't working. We're, we're, we're down 14, nothing or 14, seven or 14, three or 14, 10. I don't want to do that. Let's, let's, let's do something else because you got to kind of probe to figure out what you're going to do. But I think the key, and one of the reasons why I was all in on let's get more coverage players is I want Patrick Mahomes to hold the ball longer. And historically he's been very, very, very good when he holds the ball longer this year, not as much. If you look at his splits, holding the ball less than two and a half seconds versus more than two and a half seconds, you kind of want him to hold the ball a little bit more. And mm -hmm. I think that speaks to not having Sammy Watkins. That speaks yeah. to the fact that Miko Hardman is a manufactured touches guy and he's a deep speed burner, but he's not going to shake in the short loose, shake loose in the short area. That's not what he does. He's, I think they miss Sammy Watkins. And I, I know that that's not, that's not a, you know, insane take, but Sammy Watkins being better than Miko Hardman is not a crazy take by any means. And when you have Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, and essentially that's why, it. It's why I think the addition, the infusion of Josh Gordon could be really interesting. I'm going to be really interested to see what that looks like. Because the Me fact too. of the matter is, we, we just don't know. The last time we saw Josh Gordon, was he was a Seahawk, and he was fine. And we saw him as a Patriot, and he was fine. So this idea that Josh Gordon is going to come in and like be a a star is like, yeah, that's I mean, not I, happening. I just, I, I just happening. don't think it's happening at this point, but could he be better than Byron Pringle? Yeah. That seems reasonable to me. You know, apparently once you pop, you do, you can in fact stop because you don't have to put Byron Pringle in anymore. You can put Josh Gordon in instead. So I appreciate the fact that I got a chance to do that and have that conversation here. So we have some comments to get to. We have a mailbag question to get to. So while I am getting the mailbag question ready, if you are here in the comments with us, go ahead and drop your questions in there. We will try and get to as many as we can. If you give us a YouTube super chat, we promise we will get to it. But if you have questions, concerns, takes, cries of outrage, go ahead and throw them in the comments as I grab this question. So Evan sends me every week, emails me a ridiculous almighty take. And he's a little superstitious. Because the Bills are is he a little superstitious or is he a little stitious? He's a little stitious, and the Bills are three and zero in games where he sends me a ridiculous prediction. So he keeps doing it, and he says, "Bruce, I'm too far excited after the second shutout in three games, but I'm going to plant my flag in the ground here. The Buffalo Bills are going to blow the doors off of Arrowhead Stadium. It won't be close. The NFL is going to find out Daddy is home, and he lives in Orchard Park. Four turnovers. Josh has three touchdowns." 27-3, Bills over Chiefs. McDermott ends with eyes forward to the home game hosted by the Nashville Bills backers the next week. Mm -hmm. uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs have never been held to less than 10 points ever, except for the Super Bowl against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and that was it's nine. not going to happen. Yeah, so you're going to have to score. So I love Evan. I have to read his take because it's tradition, but that's uh, – that's something. So we had somebody in the comments who wanted to ask you specifically a trade request. And I know how much you love, love, love trade requests. I do. Nate. And I'm trying to find it in here, but it was specifically about, there it is. Nate, do you think the Bills should trade Cole Beasley a second and Gabriel Davis for Michael Thomas to give us the size and skill we need? I'm going to go ahead and let you take this one. You want, you want me to take it? I want you all to right, take it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm going to take this tray. Um, I love it 
uh, for my my fantasy dynasty team. Um, I, you know, in in all reality, um, I I listen. I I, I like to think I I've, I've got a pretty good feel on the NFL. I don't believe Michael Thomas is going to be in New Orleans long term. I I think there's been some broken ground there. Um, the the foundation has been fractured a little bit in the relationship with he and and, and Sean Payton. So. Do I believe Michael Thomas is available for the right trade? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's not a trade that's going to get that 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 trade done. You know, it, it, Cole Beasley sort of feels like. Listen, I, I'm a big Cole Beasley fan, but it sort of feels like a spare part, a guy on an expiring contract. Garibald Davis got a great upside in a second round pick for you know a top five receiver in the NFL. And yeah, I'd love nothing more than pairing Stephon Diggs and and and, and Michael Thomas together in this Bills offense, but. You know, you 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 simply you're you're in a in a year where you're likely going to have to start tweaking or thinking about tweaking the Stephon Diggs contract, and this isn't a roster with a quarterback they're paying 258 million um, that you can afford to pay two top five salaries at the wide receiver position. It, it can't count for you know 11 percent of your salary. Um, so I think for me, um, it's fun to think about, um, and what I love Michael Thomas absolutely, but uh, yeah, not happening. I absolutely love ridiculous trade discussions. I think yeah. it's, I think they're, I you think and they're, me do it all awesome. the time. Like instead of preparing for our show every, every Friday night, I just get on and all we do is talk about fantasy trades. So pretty much. Yeah. That's his tradition. Speaking of which, you know, I tried to make a Terry, Terry McLaurin trade, but then all of a sudden he blew up and now Nate doesn't want to talk anymore. It's crazy how that happens. It is so, crazy. Uh, Bruce, could I actually, uh, I didn't mention something really quick. Okay, uh, I didn't ready. do this last week and I needed to do this. So I'm dropping a, a quick little link for the folks uh, in our chat um, through here. And I dropped it to the Buffalo rumbling spot. So um, if anybody doesn't know, uh, I am uh, a, 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 um, an ambassador this year for the Real Men Wear Pink campaign. Um, and uh, what I'm doing is raising money for the American Cancer Society for breast cancer research. And um, I would love it if uh, if anyone here uh, would 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 like to uh, donate to my page. Um, I tried to uh, I tried to post it, but it, it says it, it, it posted as an error. Um, but uh, I just posted it up on um, on the in the chat here. Any amount, any amount it would do. I appreciate anyone that that gives to my cause. But I, I, I am in a dead heat with Del Reed, Sal Capaccio. Um, and a cut and Ryan Talbot as well. And, and out of the media folk that are in this, I, I intend to win. Um, I'm at $2,700 um, raised so far just through grassroots efforts. And uh, anybody that's, that's willing to, um, you know, give um, or, or pledge a little money um, to my cause, I, I would greatly appreciate it. And, and as this coming from a guy that I know you have lots of opportunities um, to be charitable and to give money to great organizations around the country, around the world, um, so I'm honored for just the thought of and just your consideration. If if you want to give, I I would be uh, absolutely honored for that. So I just wanted to to make sure I uh, I drop that that tidbit of knowledge since uh, it is a campaign I'm very passionate about as a cancer survivor myself. So um yeah, go on uh, and of course it's on my my Twitter page as well. If if you end up leaving this chat or you're listening to this um, tomorrow uh, on our recorded podcast, you just go to my Twitter at Nakeery Sports. It's the pinned tweet. There's a link right to my uh, my page. And uh, again, once again, I appreciate anyone that's uh, that's sort of w- willing to give. Okay. Would you trade the, a bowl of chili for the best grilled cheese sandwich ever? I, this, these are the questions I want. That is this, the hardest question this, anyone's ever asked. This me. is what I want in the comment section. I want a, you know, would you rather fight a kangaroo-sized fish or 10 fish-sized kangaroos? Like, that's what <laughs> I want. Like, I want those in the comment section because that's the fun stuff. And this is what I'm talking about. Would you trade a bowl of chili 
for the best grilled cheese sandwich ever? That is such okay. a good question. First off, depends on the chili, obviously, I think, because we've all had bad chili. I think we can all agree we have bad. Okay, chili. before bad before chili, what is so, what is the thing that constitutes bad chili? Because one of the, I think the greatest mistake people make is by overbeaning the chili. There is, listen, there is a role for kidney beans in yeah. chili, but for the love of God, people, I don't want beans with a side of chili. I'll love it with me. I think to me, it's an overemphasis on chili powder is the predominant flavor. To be honest, mm. I think Agreed. the uh, the the un the inability to be able to balance a flavor profile and just have it just taste like liquefied chili powder. I've had that no, before. Just me too. Bean liquefied chili soup. Like that's it. That's all you got. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, Earth Rocker, I'm going to operate on the assumption this is my wife's chili. Okay, yeah. because this is the chili I have the most. And the answer is no. I would not trade my a bowl of my wife's chili for the best grilled cheese sandwich ever. Although I like grilled cheese sandwiches, I'm a big fan. However, mm. from a from a chili standpoint, my wife's chili is good enough that we have literal bags of it hanging frozen in the deep freezer that we just pull out year round when we want a meal. We just go grab a bag of chili because we make a huge pot of it and we siphon it freeze off. Freeze it up. Yeah. And we freeze it up. And so for me, I would not. Would you, Nate? So I, anytime I get asked a question like this, what I have to then ask myself is, which of these two can stand alone? Chili can stand alone. Grilled cheese is usually best with chili or like tomato soup, right? Like those are almost like the, the necessities. Yeah, I also, I, right. And, and I'm also a big believer that the best grilled cheese sandwich does not use real cheese. Like I have no interest in like, you know, real cheeses in my grilled cheese. I want craft. I want like Velveeta slices. Um, I'm good with, you know, the white or American, but it's gotta be American oily fake processed cheese. And can I tell you that it needs to be rye bread, fresh rye bread with an American cheese and lots of butter in a pan. I saw uh, Richard in our, in our chat here say that he makes his grilled cheese in the oven. And I think that's an interesting route. I've never heard of that. I know people, some people use mayo, which is, you're a freaking psychopath if you're using mayo um, as your butter component, but apparently has a higher flash point. So it browns it better. I don't care. Um, I'm going chili strictly off the fa- off the fact that when I eat a grilled cheese sandwich, I'm, I'm either going to need three of them or I need something to go with it. And um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm standing on that. Non-food related question. Will the Bills get Gabe Davis involved in the game plan this week? He's been way under the radar. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say, say no, no as well. Because it's Emmanuel Sanders' job. And yep. this team went off the reservation a little bit week one. They went with a lot of 10 personnel in week one. And it didn't go great for them. And they found their rhythm with 11 personnel. Dawson Knox has been playing well. Right now, Dawson Knox with Gabriel Davis probably still fighting an injury at this point. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. I think that you're better off with Dawson Knox than you are with Gabriel Davis. I'm going to say no. I I think, Nate, you agree with me on this. Okay, moving on. I do. Yeah, I do, Bruce. Free pizza or free donuts? Free pizza. Free pizza. Free pizza, absolutely. where are the donuts from? Are they cake Uh, donuts or are they crullers? They're Paula's and assorted, and you can do whatever you want with it. I like Paula's, but cake donuts are no, no bueno for me. I can eat one. I can eat three slices of pizza. The fact of the matter is I will eventually get sick of donuts and I'll, I'll, I'll have a sugar crash. I will not have a sugar crash from pizza. I had a new type of pizza today. I will post it on my uh, my Instagram Bruce. later. And, and I'm a big fan. 
I would like you to come back to town soon, and I think I'd like to take you to another pizza joint. You, 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 and the wife, Ready. you and Miss Let's Nolan. Do it. Yeah. Let's do it. I'm all in. Because, because, uh, listen. Um, oh, I took you to. Um, where did I take you? Uh, uh, Picasso's. Picasso's. Yes, I took you to Picasso's, yeah. which is a very unique buffalo pie. Not a lot of pies like like Picasso's. By the I'm way, reminder: fan. my wife said it was the best pizza she ever had in her life. And I'm glad I'm glad that you didn't let the bullies on the Internet that were telling me I was crazy for bringing you to Picasso's. And it's almost like I here's the thing, Bruce. I've known you for a few years now. I know the type of pizza you're looking for. And listen, like the Imperials, the 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 sort of well-known best pizza joints in Buffalo, um, they're all great. But you remind me of the kind of guy that would have really appreciated. And I know now Miss Nolan appreciates this as well. The little like Parmesan crack dust that gets Mm. put on the top of that pizza. That was the the that was the the sincere thing. I was like at the end of the day, I was like, I'm gonna go with crack dust, and that's my final answer. And um, ooh, holy cow, I love this question. Yes, Tim says dream charcuterie board. Um, I'm a hard salami guy. I really mm-hmm. like trail bologna and hard salami. And so, um, the sharper the cheddar, the better yes. for me. Give yes, me okay. the sharpest possible cheddar, and I am all in on super sharp cheddar, some hard salami trail bologna i am in i really like uh i really like summer sausage style stuff so for me that's my my charcuterie board of choice uh i will say as long as it doesn't have goat cheese on it i'll I'll pretty much eat any charcuterie board but let me tell you a quick story here so two years ago my girlfriend and i traveled to paris france unbelievable trip our airbnb was with an american author in her apartment she had a little a little studio off to the side that we stayed in next door to this Airbnb in a back alley was a place called charcuterie and it was a charcuterie and wine bar. And obviously we, we stopped there, but we got the small size, which had eight cheeses and eight meats. There was a pate, which, you know, when you're in, when you're in another country, I don't ask questions. I'm just going to eat the stuff. And if I hate it and it's disgusting and it's gross, then I spit it out and I move on. Everything on there I liked, even like the pate, there was some like liverwurst, like there was some stuff. But here's the thing, prosciutto, speck, any of those real salty aged, um, those salty aged meats, really good. Uh, A a couple of days ago, uh, we were at uh, Lombardo's here in Buffalo, fantastic Italian restaurant and had duck prosciutto. Holy cow, dude, that was, that's a game changer. So for me, I like the salty cured meats, um, speck, sausage. Uh, pepperoni, the salami with the black pepper. Um, also big fan of that. But here's what I believe is an underrated cheese for a charcuterie board. Obviously, everybody goes with brie. I love brie. You have to have some sort of jam with it, though. If you're going to have brie, bring me some sort of apricot jam or something along those lines. But what I'll say is a hard parm, a Parmesan cheese, a really good aged parm, is probably one of the best charcuterie board cheeses that I don't see enough places going with. You know what? I have people in here who don't know what trail bologna is. Uh, trail bologna is a Midwest Midwest thing. So I've lived all over the country. This has been well-established that I was born uh, just west of Philadelphia and must like the French Prince. I am essentially the Fresh Prince of mm-hmm. Bill's Mafia. And I've lived all over the country. But I spent some time in the Midwest too. And it's a Midwest sausage, a beef sausage that is essentially beef sliced bologna um that's it, it's yeah it's a it's a thing no i'm not gonna lie it's a thing um and first off 
thank you guys so much for commenting yes. and for being in the comment section. I, I, I love this. I absolutely love this. Uh, Attica says in the, in the comment section, great work again today, fellas. Appreciate your efforts guys. I love when the comment section is getting with us on this stuff. Mm -hmm. It gives, yes. it gives the, it gives the podcast such a great energy and it's hard at the end of a long week. I'm tired. Right. I'm kicking up my I'm in my pajamas mm. right now. I finished my root beer. I'm going to go to bed and crash Same. tonight. I have to I'm going to eat early. soup. Yeah, you're going to eat soup. My wife is in the kitchen right now baking because we're delivering a cake to somebody soul. early tomorrow morning. We're driving down about two hours away to deliver a cake to somebody. And so she's up there doing this. It's going to be a late night baking and cleaning up. We're going to get up early. I'm exhausted. You guys being in the comment section generates the energy yeah. and so i can't tell you how much i appreciate it can i leave with one question to you absolutely fresh sourdough or texas toast in what form like what uh, am i using it on your okay and not only this but texas toast see this is what makes this question a little bit harder because texas toast you obviously want toasted um because i think mm -hmm. it just makes it delicious and obviously with fresh sourdough, you're leaving that. That's, that's, you're, you're, you're not toasting that you want that fresh. So if you, if I put you back to you in a corner and you were eating a fresh chicken, a, ch a fresh chicken soup, chicken noodle soup, or something that you might want to potentially dip it in because sourdough. Oh, no, no sourdough. All right. Sourdough how, about, how about with your, how about with your scrambled eggs? Sourdough for dipping. Uh, with scrambled eggs, I'll take Texas toast because the texture differential between the eggs being soft and the Texas toast being crunchy. Okay. And you want, you want, I want the sourdough because not being toast, if you dip it in like a chicken noodle soup, the porousness yeah. of the sourdough will suck all that up. I've so, got, I've got some uh, sourdough that I'm about to dip into the, uh, the Thai vegetable soup that my girlfriend is in the process of do. making or almost have made. So, well, thank you so much for joining us real quick, yes. Tim, j Tim, just so you know, it's a Philly cheesesteak. That's my favorite Philadelphia food. Yeah. It's a Philly cheesesteak. It's amazing. But thank you so much for joining us guys. I really appreciate it. Shoot me, shoot me an email. Let me know what you thought. Uh, do me a favor, comment on the YouTube video, like, subscribe, do all the engagement stuff. We appreciate it. We love y'all. Thank you for showing up. We hope you had a good time this evening and we hope you didn't leave hungry. Current Podcast is back with an exciting new season featuring marketing executives from the world's most influential brands. Tune in to hear what's driving conversation in the fast-moving world of digital advertising with unique insights from brands as diverse as Hilton, Instacart, Moderna, Major League Soccer, and more. And in this presidential election season, The Current explores what a national political advertiser like the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a major CPG brand like Hershey can learn from each other. Listen in and subscribe to The Current at thecurrent.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Vanta. 
Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks. It can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta.